Galatians chapter 6 this morning. Galatians chapter 6, the message I call a new creature. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 15. We'll be finishing up in the book of Galatians today. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them, and mercy, and upon the Israel of God. You know, this impassioned letter that Paul wrote so long ago has taken us on a whirlwind of a spiritual journey all the way from the anathema of chapter 1 and his impassioned plea to them uh, that they'd been so soon removed from the gospel. And uh, now to the glory well of chapter 6 where he says, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, which we looked at on Good Friday a few days ago. The whole thing then in logical and I might even say sermonic order is brought down to this last statement, this sentence. Uh, As a homiletics teacher, that's where we teach people about preachers, about outlining and delivering sermons. I always tell them, you need to be able to condense your whole message down to one sentence, a sermon and a sentence. Now, I know good Baptists like you all are. You say, well, why don't you just preach us that sentence then and let us go? I know, I know how that goes. Uh, but, you know, a summary is useless without a discussion. That's when you look, why when you look up a bill uh, that the Arkansas House perhaps has passed, there's always a summary. But then the bill is still there, too. And uh, The summary, though, is useless without a discussion. If a short summary statement was going to settle the issue that's covered in the book of Galatians, it would have happened after Acts chapter 15. You'll remember the council in Jerusalem when they met to consider this issue. And then they, have, they sent out a letter. It was a short letter. It says, For as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words, subverting your souls and saying, You must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. Uh, Then in verse 28, for it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from meats offered to idols and from blood and from things strangled and from fornication, from which if you keep yourselves you shall do well, fare you well. I mean, short letter. And if that was going to settle this issue, it would have. But here it is. It's still going on. And people are still teaching that they were going to have to be circumcised and follow the law of Moses in order to be saved. Thus we had this long, detailed discussion that Paul wrote in the book of Galatians, what he called a a large letter. Uh, It it was certainly filled with all of the burden that was on his heart. But thank God he wrote it. It gave us such a profound discussion of biblical truth. Now it all comes down to this. Short statement. Summary. In Christ Jesus... Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision matters. What matters is that you be a new creation in Jesus Christ. This summary, though, is going to present three incredible truths to us today. Great statements. And the first one is this. It's what's inside, on the inside, that counts. For in Christ Jesus... Neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision. You see, that's on the outside. But a new creature or a new creation. Under the Old Testament economy, it could be said and it was said that God's people were in Abraham. So much so that when they died, they were said to be in Abraham's bosom. But now that's gone away and now we're no longer in Abraham. We're in Christ. 
the symbol of them being in Abraham was a symbol of circumcision. And that may seem a little strange to us so far removed from it. Uh, but that's the way it was. And, and this was an out, outward expression. It was a sign. It was a symbol that gave them access to the temple worship. It was the place then where God had commanded to meet with his people in the temple. And so they could go there. But now we're not considered in Abraham uh, now in Christ. Where under the Old Testament economy, when they died even, they went to Abraham's bosom. But now when we die, the Bible says absent from the body is what? Present with the Lord. Yeah, we go uh, straight into the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. So in Christ, the identification with him, though, is not uh, a mark, not something on the outside, not something caused by a surgical removal of a piece of skin. Now our identification is our relationship with Jesus Christ. Verse 17 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul makes the same basic statement. Therefore, if any man be in Christ... He is a new creature, a new creation. Old, old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become no new, and all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. So profound is this change that we saw earlier. Paul saying in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Did I tell you, it's what's on the inside that counts. Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, that's the outside, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's what's on the inside. Where we are a new creature. Where Christ is in us. Where the precious Holy Spirit of God abides in us. And Paul brings that up again in Romans chapter 8 and verse 8. So then they which are in the flesh cannot please God, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if the Spirit of God dwells in you. If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he says, he is not his. If the Spirit of God is not in you, you're not saved. If you're saved... The Spirit of God is in you. It is what is on the inside that counts. And because then the Spirit of God is in you, he goes on to say, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken. That's give life to your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwells in you. It is the operation of the Spirit of God in us as believers in Christ because from the moment that we call upon the Lord Jesus Christ and receive Him as our Savior, the Bible says that we are in Christ and Christ is in us. And there on that spiritual side of us, then we become a new creation where before we were dead in our trespasses and sins and all we had was the flesh. And we operated and we lived according to the flesh. A uh, person that's in the flesh has eyes to see, they have ears to hear, they have a brain to think and a mouth that they can use, and boy, they can use it. Uh, a person that's in the flesh uh, has arms and legs, they can walk and talk, they breathe, they have a beating heart. But that's all they have is the flesh. But when you're saved, then the Spirit of God comes to live in your life, and now it's not just the flesh anymore, now you have the mighty power of the Spirit of God living in you. 
And because of that, he says, yes, the body is still there. The flesh is still there. And it's certainly still a problem. But now you have the power of the Spirit of God. It's what, on the in, it's what is on the inside that counts. That's where we're saved. That's where we have a relationship with God. That's where we have spiritual life. That's where Jesus lives in you. And he lives in me. It's what's on the inside. The second great point then that he makes in this passage is that what's on the inside needs to come outside. What's on the inside needs to come to the outside. Verse 16, and as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them and mercy and upon the Israel of God from henceforth let no man trouble me for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. You see, as a new creation in Christ Jesus, where the Spirit of God lives in us, where we're in Christ and Christ is in us, and the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life, then we are walking. It's a step-by-step kind of life. We may stumble occasionally. We might take a wrong step, but the Spirit of God is going to bring us back and move us in the direction that we need to go. We're walking in the Spirit. That is how this spiritual life that is in us on the inside then comes to the outside. We've already seen in our messages through the book of Galatians that there's a constant and ongoing struggle between the flesh and the spirit. Paul put it this way, uh, the flesh lusteth or, or desires against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh so that you cannot do the things that you want to in practical terms. That means that, yes, we're saved, but we still have a, a fleshly body and all those fleshly desires are still there. But the flesh doesn't get to do everything that it wants to do because the Spirit of God doesn't let it. We're changed. We're a new creature. And we can say no to the flesh. Unfortunately, the, the, the Spirit can't do everything it wants to either because even Jesus said to the disciples, the Spirit is willing and the flesh is, is weak. It's weak. So that while the flesh doesn't get to do everything it wants to do, the Spirit doesn't get to do everything it wants to do. There's that constant tension. And I want to remind you today that we've learned this in our study of the book of Galatians, that this struggle does not mean that you're not a believer. The struggle means you are a believer. If you are a believer, if you are saved, then that struggle is real. It's a struggle between the Spirit and the flesh. But our understanding of this great principle then unleashes the peace of God. What Paul spoke of in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7. The peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Which would be impossible without the mercy of God. Simon Peter spoke of this in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. He said, but you are a chosen generation. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. You see, there's the mercy of God. And so we are spoken of as a people of God, as a people who have obtained mercy. And aren't you thankful this morning that God is merciful to us? God doesn't just say to us, you know, I was merciful to you back in 1977. That's enough. You're done. <laughs> no. Now we are the people who have attained mercy. That's why we can have peace. There'd be no peace with God without our knowledge of the mercy of God. 
But because we've had the mercy of God, Simon Peter then goes on in verse 11. He says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul, having your conversation, your lifestyle, honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak as the unbelievers, as whereas they speak against you as evildoers, They may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. You see, Simon Peter was working and serving and writing these truths about how we've obtained mercy and therefore we have our conversation honest and we're doing good things. We're bringing this to the outside on the basis of the mercy we have from God. So that the people around you who are talking bad about you, talking of you as being evildoers, they would see the way you live and they'd know that what they're saying is wrong. We might remind ourselves from time to time that we're beginning to live, we're beginning to understand a little bit more about what it was like to live in the first century. You know, Christianity was born with the Roman Empire on one side and the Jews on the other, and they caught it from both sides. The Romans hated him. The Jews hated him. They were not popular. They had no power or prestige. And Christians were often accused of doing horrible things by both sides. They were spoken badly about. Maybe we never thought that such a day would come to America. But folk, we are living in that day where Christians are often maligned as evildoers. Where we are accused of being a hateful and hate-filled evil people. What we need to understand is that that puts us in a very New Testament context in which the gospel of Jesus Christ, by the way, flourished. (laughs) Look at how many people became Christians in the first century. Look at how the gospel spread around the world in the first century. Yes, you're spoken of as evildoers, but guess what? The mighty power of the Spirit of God lives in you, and He lives in me. And if we'll get that out of the inside to the outside so that we're living in a way that pleases God, God will use that and people will see it. And they desperately need to see it. Paul would go on in verse 17 then and speak of the stigma. I bear in my body, he says, the marks of the Lord Jesus. It's literally the word stigmatica, the marks. The word means to stick or poke. It spoke of the practice they had in the New Testament of sharpening a stick, later a piece of metal, and they would use it then to either put a brand or much like what we would call a tattoo. It was used to mark slaves, identify slaves with their owner. It was used to identify soldiers with their uh, generals. Now, you young folks here today, you know, you don't, don't be pulling this passage up and saying, see, it's okay to have a tattoo. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with tattoo. That's for your parents to to decide for you, okay? Um, I'm just telling you this was not a voluntary practice for them. It was something that was done to them. They didn't have any choice in the matter. It was a mark. You see, the word stigma in our culture has taken on a very negative connotation. In fact, it is defined as uh, something that is uh, disgraceful, something that causes a person... Uh, to lose reputation. It, it, it's an identification of, of something uh, terrible, uh, uh, infamous, a stain of reproach. To be stigmatized is to set aside for disgrace or great disapproval. But 
didn't carry that in the New Testament. It's just what it was. It was a mark. So when Paul says, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus, then what was he talking about? Well, in Act, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 24, he said of the Jews, five times received our 39 stripes, 40 lashes, save one. Now, their lash was much like what we call, no, as the cat of nine tails. It had nine tails on it just so that each time they hit them with that whip, it left nine marks on their back. Paul said, I've been whipped five times. Can you imagine what his back looked like? It wasn't just his back. You can wear a shirt over your back. He's also stoned. We know in Acts chapter 14, verse 19, that he was drug outside the city and stoned and left for dead, beaten with rocks. You can only imagine what his face must have looked like after that. He was a scarred up fellow. So while circumcision was one thing, now he says, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus, very open, very visible, very public. They identified him with Christ and with the preaching of the gospel. We're not straying from the text when we talk about today the stigma that is associated with being a Christian and how often Christians today will be stigmatized if you stand for Jesus Christ, if you make a stand for Him. I don't know what you think about the former professional athlete Tim Tebow. I don't know whether you liked him or hated him, but I think we'd all admit one thing. He was stigmatized because of his Christian faith. He's far from alone. Some of you remember the McCarthy years and when McCarthyism happened in the 1950s and people then were blacklisted because uh, they had communistic or socialistic leanings. We've come a long way from that. Today it's Christians who are being blacklisted. Christians who are being stigmatized. Thank God you don't face torture. Nobody's going to drag you outside uh, the city street and beat you to death with rocks more than likely. You're not going to face that kind of persecution, imprisonment, because you stand for the Lord Jesus Christ or because you share the gospel. But you will certainly have a certain stigma attached to you if you take a stand for the gospel, if you stand for biblical truth. If, if you stand. I want to remind you folks, I've said it many times, I'll say it again, the world really don't care what you believe as long as you keep it to yourself. Keep it inside your house. Keep it inside the walls of these buildings. They're not intimidated by that at all. If you get out into the public arena and start standing for biblical truth, if you start bringing the Bible into discussions about things like abortion and transgenderism, about white privilege or racial justice, Start talking about what the Bible says. And I mentioned white privilege and racial justice today for, for a reason. Because the Bible has something to say about that. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And that means that Jesus Christ died for everybody. Doesn't matter who you are, what country you're from. Doesn't matter what kind of skin pigmentation you have, what your racial characteristics are, Jesus Christ died for y'all. But I've got some bad news. Not only do we have that equal good news of the gospel, but we've got the equal opportunity offense because the Bible also says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
Everyone then is equally guilty of sin, but everyone then has the equal opportunity of receiving Jesus Christ. And the wonderful truth then of God's forgiveness and having the mighty Spirit of God in their life. We're here to tell you that Jesus Christ died for all, that Jesus Christ loves you. He'll save you if you ask Him to. That's the message that we really have. But still in that message, Acts 5.41, reminded of what happened to the apostles. And they were drug into court in Jerusalem. And there in that court, they would have had their clothing stripped from them. And they were all beaten. And the Bible says that they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to what? Suffer shame. For his name. We need that kind of spirit today because the shame is still there. Paul said that Jesus endured the cross and despised the shame. Aren't you glad he did? Amen. Aren't you glad that Jesus Christ endured the cross and despised the shame? The writer of the book of Hebrews calls us to go without the camp as Jesus did, bearing his reproach. He called us to be like Moses who counted the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. And perhaps Paul summarized it best for us in 1 Timothy chapter 4 when he said, For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach. Because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. You see, this morning, if, if we can understand that it's what's on the inside that counts and what's on the inside is the presence of the Spirit of God because we're in Christ and Christ is in us and the mighty power of the Spirit of God then is changing us, is making us a new creation in Christ, is helping us then to live in a way that is pleasing unto God. And what we need to do then is to bring what's on the inside to the outside so that we are walking in a way that people can see us walk. We're living in a way that people can see us live. We are not only talking about the gospel, but we're living out the truth of the gospel and sharing the gospel and defending our faith and speaking our faith. And we bring then the truth of Scripture into the public arena as we take a visible stand. What's on the inside comes to the outside. We have to know there's going to be a stigma with that. There's going to be a reproach. Young people need to know something. I know what you face at school if you take a stand for the Bible. I know how your friends talk about you if you're identified as a Christian. I know how some of you are dealing with this thing at work. I know what could happen to you. I know. I know that other people might be able to speak their views, but when Christians begin to speak the gospel, and speak, I, I, I know you can be fired, and a lot of us have been, and more will. I know the struggle. I know it's real. But we are living in a nation that is experiencing what can only be called apostasy. They are turning away from God. Turning their back on God. Turning their back on biblical principles and running as far as they can get from Him and from the truth of Scripture. That's happening. And I'm not calling you to do this this morning because I think that our nation is going to turn around and experience a mighty revival. I've been praying for it my whole life. And I still hope it happens, but I know 
I know that time is running out and may have already run out. Every four to five years, another generation goes out into college. And after four or five years, a lot of them are coming out and they're anything but young Christians. We occasionally win some battles, but many times we don't. I mentioned a four-year cycle because that's the way our election cycles run. And I have to wonder what the next one's going to be like. You thought the last one was tough. Just wait. Just wait. What can happen? Well, America can have a revival. It can happen. But it may not. But I'll tell you what we can see. Listen to me. We can see revival of God's people taking their faith seriously. We can see a revival of God's people being willing to take a stand. We can see a revival of God's people taking what's on the inside, their faith, their relationship with God, their spiritual status of a believer in Christ, taking it from the inside and putting it on the outside so that by the way we live and the words that we speak, we are portraying the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we may not see a national revival, but I'll tell you what, your neighbor might get saved. you like that your kids might get saved how about that your grandkids your grandparents might be saved your grandkids children I'll get it out in a minute might be saved who knows we may not see a revival that changes our nation but we can see a revival that changes a whole lot of hearts before Jesus comes it's not over folks it's not time to quit if it's anything it's time for us to get busy the time is short. I'm glad to be able to tell you the Bible still says that where sin abounds, grace doth much more abound. And you know what that means? That means there's a whole lot of opportunity in the United States of America today. Where sin abounds, grace doth much more abound because you and I know something. Where sin abounds, slavery abounds. I'm not talking about physical. I'm talking about spiritual. Where sin abounds, pain and suffering abounds. A lot of hurting, suffering people in the bondage iron grip of sin and oh how the gospel is going to change their lives you and I need to get that out what's on the inside is what counts what's on the inside needs to come to the outside lastly we're almost done hang with me God's grace is promised to the inside brethren verse 18 how does he end up the book the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit be with your spirit. With his final words then, Paul makes one more promise about the grace of God and how it works with us on the inside and us spiritually. The writer of Proverbs gave us a great truth about our spiritual life. In Proverbs 18 14, he said, The spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity, his weakness. But a wounded spirit, who can bear? We're resourceful people. And we can do a lot just by the strength of our own resolve. But when our resolve breaks or our flesh breaks, breaks down, our body lets us down. Strength of will is not getting us through. When we're suffering from reproach and we're wondering if we can go on, what will keep us going? Well, the Proverbs tell us it is the spirit of man that will sustain his infirmity. It will get you through your weakness. If you have a good, strong, healthy spirit, that's why Jesus said in Luke chapter 4 and verse 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. We need spiritual strength. 
so that what's on the inside can come on the outside, so that we can bear the reproach, so that we can keep on serving, living for God, get past the struggles, get past the weaknesses, and move on. As we wrap up our time together then this morning, I just want to remind you of the three great truths that Paul has given us. It's what's on the inside that counts. It's not the outside. See, what's on the outside is, can be a symbol. In the Old Testament, that was circumcision. In the New Testament, it's baptism. But uh, if you go through the baptism, the ritual, the symbol, without having the reality of what's on the inside, then you've messed everything up. You see, the Bible teaches believers' baptism. That is, a person must be a believer. They have the reality Christ is in you, and then you get the outside because it's what's on the inside that counts. And if you weren't saved when you were baptized, folk, you know what happened to you? You got wet. Uh, in fact, you got really, really wet. I don't think you ever get wetter in your life than when you get baptized. I mean, you're wet from the top of your head down to the bottom of your feet. But if you weren't a believer, if you didn't have the reality on the inside, remember it's what's on the inside that counts. And if you didn't have that reality, you weren't already in Christ, you weren't already a believer, then the symbol really wasn't a symbol of anything. And maybe that's true in your life. You have to look back at it and you say, yeah, I, I wasn't saved when I was baptized. Then maybe it's time for you to get that right. There's no time to wait, no time to put things off. You know you're a believer, but you haven't followed the Lord in baptism. Symbols are important. I'm not telling you that what's on the outside doesn't matter. It does. But it's what's on the inside that counts. What's on the inside then, then needs to come to what's on the outside. So they can be seen as we live it out. And then God's grace comes to us on the inside. It's a great plan and a great way to end the book.